0: It's that time of year again. Halloween season. On Blood and Black Run Podcast, we take this very seriously. So, we're going back to the basics with what we're calling Halloweenies 2. Movies that take place on or around Halloween. Your favorites like Hocus Pocus, Ernest Scared Stupid, Terrifier, and more. Tune in all September and October as we smash jack-o-lanterns and Oktoberfest in equal fashion. Hey guys, welcome back to Blood and Black Run Podcast. I'm Ryan from CoolSplotation.com and I'm joined with my co-host Martin. How's it going? Uh, it's kind of torturous today. <laughs> Talking about getting back into the torture porn genre on our episode of Halloweenies 2. Um, I thought we were finally doing Mean Girls because today's October 3rd. It's Mean Girls Day. It would have made sense. except Well, I guess it wouldn't have made sense because to everyone yeah. listening, they would have gotten it on October 5th, so... It would have made sense, because, uh... There is Halloween in it. That's true. There is. It's not a big part of it. You could also argue it's got Christmas in it, too. Valentine's Day. I'm a cool mom. Um, but no, we're, we're, we're going back to the torture porn genre. And, um... We've done a number of them. And I thought the torture porn genre mostly ended in the 2000s, but... It's still uh, still around and kicking, and occasionally you do get a nice torture porn movie out every now and then. I would consider Terrifier a torture porn movie. What, do you, what about you? No, it is. Yeah, I think we I think we talked about that. No, I it's think we definitely torture porn. I Think we did say that it's like it's got an element of torture porn, probably more than slasher. That's for sure.
1: No, it's definitely more torture porn than slasher because it's just you know people getting whacked, gore grew. No, Uh. no, 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 uh... Plot to be found other than...
0: Clown Boy likes to cut muffs in (laughs) half. Uh, yeah, but uh, this one, so, surprisingly, like, every time I I tell people who aren't really into horror movies, I say, yeah, this is the 10th installment. They're like, what? There are fucking 10 of those? Come on now. Takes people aback, because... I don't think people realize, especially because this movie series, at a certain point, started getting finicky with their movie titles and sh- offshooting a little bit, kind of like uh Nightmare on Elm Street* series, where they're, you know, Wes Craven have throw things up a little bit. I won't have you making the
1: comparison because we don't have a nice metal score. We're, we don't. There's no doc in here. True. Can't have any Lincoln Park because Chester had to go on off himself. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it is surprising that we've made it 10 installments. And, honestly, as we've talked about the entire movie series in the previous Halloween, uh, special that we've done, might as well just, our first actual Halloween special. Oh yeah, the first, first one?
1: Yeah. Well, well we did a uh, little special tribute to like, uh, our first year to Halloween, but our first, like, big block, like, this is what we're going to be doing from now on. We went down the Saw lane
0: because I never saw a Saw film. (laughs) Never saw a Saw. Yeah, Saw has made it ten ten installments, and that's, you know, considering the big names in horror history, ten installments, that's nothing to shake a limb at. It's, uh, It's definitely a success story. And uh like I said, there were there have been hits and misses and we've talked about those throughout our retrospective on the Saw series. Um and then later on as they came out, we covered Jigsaw. Um not my favorite if I recall, and I think I've only seen it one that one time. I don't think I've even revisited it. But if I recall correctly, neither of us were very impressed with that one, which would have been Saw 8. And then, um, wasn't last year, I think, but it was the year before, right? Yeah, two years ago. Yeah, two years ago. It does does feel like it was, like, you know, not that long. Could could have been last year. Uh, Two years ago, we did Spiral, um, which, again, was like, fuck you and your Saw uh, sequel naming convention. Gonna name this Spiral instead. Uh, And it made you think, oh, an American Uzumaki remake, right? (laughs) No. It's Chris Rock starring in an American Uzumaki remake. Uh, also, too, it had the stupid name Spiral from the Book
1: of Saw. Yeah, like, like, so the fact that like that's the last film, and you know they went like, oh, this is gonna be like an anthology series now. Well, not
0: anthology, but like you know, uh, episodic, mm-hmm. almost like a, a procedural drama from CBS. Dead on... Dead on Arrival. It's... <laughs> Coming fall 2024.
1: It's like the Dark Universe from, uh... Universal. They got the mummy out, and it was DOA.
0: Well, you know, <laughs> y- you kind of... Like, because the, the Saw series already did, like, from the Book of Saw, basically. You know, the sequels are, at times, about people who have taken on the religion of John Kramer and have are doing his bidding. And so you can't really have another offshoot like from the Book of Saw because they're all from the book. You know, that's it's all related. It's all tied in. So it's really hard to do an offshoot like that where you're gonna, you know, have some sort of spin off of of the uh the main role. So I consider spiral saw nine. I don't know about you, even though it technically is I guess is not supposed to be. No, it is because I mean it's on that. It's on because again we haven't had another, you know, last Halloween we didn't get another from the plot, but, but it's fine because again Halloween, okay, Halloween three, you're gonna get something new,
1: mm-hmm. something fresh. Mm-hmm. Well, fuck that. We're going back to Mike Michael Myers. That's right. But we still ne- made the next one, Halloween four, Curse. Yeah,
0: I would, I would, I would be interested in seeing if they do intend to continue the sort of spiral element as well in a different direction. But uh, as it stands, I, I don't think that that's the case. I think, and, and, you know, I mean, obviously, talking about Saw Ten right now, even the the producers consider Spiral a uh, Saw Nine. You know, so, um, that was an interesting idea. That was an interesting like, let's try to bring the movie series back, but. They obviously found that it didn't work as well. I mean, I thought Spyro was okay. It was an okay movie. It wasn't great. Uh, it was okay. Again, I haven't revisited it since uh, two years ago, even though I do I do own it. Um, but it was, it was okay, but it wasn't anything spectacular. And I think, you know, on our episode, we kind of talked about that as well. There were some interesting ideas, but a lot of times it fell flat. Um, and it just didn't really do anything that was... Um, more intriguing than what the Saw series had done before. So here we are with Saw 10. Um, and we are, and the, the other thing about Saw movies is they couldn't make them any more convoluted with the time, timelines. There's literally, I, I feel like if you looked at John Kramer's calendar, it's, it's booked up. Every every day, every month, every year, there's something fucking on it. Uh, next week, ride to mexico um week after that i think i've got some traps set up in a you know a warehouse down here gotta got get those prepared um he, he he's literally the busiest goddamn guy with brain cancer that you can ever think about he's got that Protestant work ethic he's just that's, think, that's you, well, we're just like i don't care that i'm dying of cancer no shit i can't even imagine man's dying of brain cancer Brain cancer that generally tends to be debilitating in one way or another. You know, you can't uh sometimes you can't walk. Sometimes you, you, know, you lose your eyesight. You lose, you lose your hearing. This man's out there fucking building industrial-sized traps. Do you do you think in hindsight, like maybe like
1: the brain cancer, like uh is what caused him to become Jigsaw? <laughs> it's not. It's not actually him being like all oh, these assholes in there being assholes. It's the cancer that's like I...
0: You know, I thought that the uh, that Saw 10 actually we'll talk about this, t- then we'll take a break and we'll get into the movie itself, but I thought that Saw 10 did an interesting thing, in that it actually showed John Kramer after, you know, he's been gotten all of his MRI scans, he's like that was a doozy, you know, he's in the hospital stuff like that, and then he sees a guy stealing from a patient, he's he stealing like a watch and uh, is going through his wallet and stuff like that, and then you see the game play out that he's doing for this guy, and then you find out you zoom out and oh, that was just in John's head. He's thinking like, this is what I'd really like to do, to this motherfucker. Suck I his that god, was, suck his goddamn eyes out. I thought that was interesting because I feel like an end game for Saw is to come to the conclusion that no, John Kramer didn't really do all of these things. He had fucking brain cancer. He's on his deathbed, and he is having hallucinations because of his brain tumor that he's doing all of these traps and games like in a like it's heroic way it's an adult version of I am the cheese he's just yeah exactly it's just all in his head I mean it would be a good out for the film series itself like if you really wanted to wrap it up in a neat little bow you could just come to the you know say no, none of this actually happened um there's not some sicko out there like Jigsaw you know rest or, assured or Shutter shutter Island Leo yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it. I thought that like presented an interesting element to it that uh, you could also have the film display all of the gory, grotesqueness that you want to, and then come back to the idea that like it actually didn't happen. It was just a fantasy of somebody's playing that stuff out in their mind. Because who would ever actually do that kind of shit? You're just thinking it. Like, ah, this guy's an asshole. What I'd like to do to him, you know. Um, I thought that was an interesting idea. It doesn't really get explored after that. And it seems like in that scenario, the filmmakers really wanted to have their way, but also not really have it actually happen. Um, So they wanted you to see all the goriness of it, but not actually, you know, I don't know, not have that honest conscience or whatever. I don't know. But I thought it was an interesting idea nonetheless. Um, But before we get too far into Saw 10 let's take a break, talk about the beer that we have on the show today. And it's actually not beer. Tis a cider. A hard cider. We don't do ciders that often, but you know what? Um, we've done a lot of Oktoberfests this Halloween season. Um, a lot. And so it's time to take a break from Oktoberfests and explore another seasonal favorite. Um, the cider. And uh, I don't know about anybody else, but I like to take a hard cider and I like to warm it up like a hot toddy. Make a nice... Hot heart cider. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that sounds grotesque, especially with the one that we have on the show today. Because we have 1911s, or otherwise known as Beacon Skiff. And it's like Beacon Skiff presents 1911s, something like that. It's like a fucking John Carpenter movie. Well, they never used to have on there the Beacon Skiff part. Yeah, I don't know. It's I, I don't fully understand the company itself. I know Beacon Skiff owns it and then they probably have an offshoot for the cider called 1911. That's my that's my thought. But this is yeah, is right. That's what he does what you think too. Yeah, well, I mean Beacon Skiff Orchards in Lafayette, New York own it. Um and then they have like this is their brewery brand, the cider brand. Yeah, the 1911. Which went, we we have done their ciders before. Yep. Um Lafayette's only like 2 hours away from when they're when they're not getting their hands into the cannabis industry, period. yeah, I, I I didn't know that either. That's pretty cool of them.
1: Um, but they've kind of become ex- like at least
0: locally, they've kind of exploded, you know. Yeah, the cider drinking. Yeah, I mean besides, you know, we have a we have another local one from Albany Nine Pin. That's a pretty big one around here too. But yeah, 1911. 1911, I would say they definitely got probably the
1: biggest. I mean, they've like beaten woodchucks like ass like can't find a woodchuck from Vermont anymore around these parts for the most part. You know, Yeah, dead.
0: woodchuck is kind of
1: laid low a little bit. Um, but they do make good hard cider and I do like hard cider. My problem with hard cider though is I re- even though I do like it a lot, I have to be in the mood for it. I agree. And man, it's the first week of fall and what's this fall? Like a nice hard cider. But this one's
0: super duper folly. Yeah, this is a Halloweeny. This is this is not just folly. This is more Halloween than trick or treat that we covered last week. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you look at the can; it's fucking Halloween as hell. Um, probably the only can that actually beats this one is the Amagang trick or treat one that we had last year. The um, no, I think this is better. Oh, you think this can is better? Mm. It's got the black. It's got the black and orange Cla- classic. I'm going to be saving the skin. This is a great can. Uh, well, I'm probably going to save it too. You know, I have the, the Almond Gang one from last year. Um, I'm going to save this one too. Uh, Yeah, this one, you know, it's got that nice deep orange set on a black can. And then, of course, you have the classic candy corn colors because this is a candy corn hard cider. Um, and you've got candy corn sporadically, magically mixed around the can too. Um, i'll be honest with you i was not expecting much from this not because i don't like 1911 i've had some that are good some that are bad from 1911 and that's kind of just uh the, the cider thing that happens sometimes they're good sometimes they're bad it depends on your taste for me personally i was not really that uh expecting that much from this one because i don't really like sweet ciders if you look at the scale of sweetness on this can, because Beacon Skiff are kind enough to provide a scale for your your cider. Uh, It's a six out of six. And so for me, I was like, oh, fuck. Uh, You know, I'm a dry cider fan. I'm not a sweet cider fan. So I was really concerned with the six out of six scale. Um, First of all, who could... It's got to be really sweet if you go on a scale of six. Okay, like most scales are five you got a scale of six like you're off the charts so that one goes to 11 (laughs) yeah yeah so that was concerning to me uh but i do like candy corn i know a lot of people are hit you know they some people like candy corn some people don't it's kind of an acquired taste what do you think what do you think about candy corn um hate it oh so you're definitely in the dislike it camp and why is that? Just because it's too sugary, too it's, it's bland. All it tastes is sugar. It's like eating a circus peanut. No, it's I, I a don't
1: vanilla the ness to it. Kind of. I mean, I've kind of gotten as I've grown older, my hate for it has become less re- like sh- strident. Right. You're not repulsed by it anymore. Not, You're just fine. like I could eat it, but I'm not like it's not something that I go out. Of, I'll ever go out of my way for because it's just a brick of sugar. Yeah, that's not even that good sugar. Like I said, it's like a circus peanut. Like, oh, circus peanut. And then it's like, oh, chewy sugar, Yeah,
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I could see that. I do like candy corn, but in very, very sporadic spurts. So, like, I'll have a one or two, and then I'm like, all right, I'm good for a while. You know, it's definitely one of those things that's like, you take a bite, and you're like, huh, time to hit the dentist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid I've just endangered my teeth. I can you can feel it like like uh,
1: yeah you do. And actually speaking of drinking this, I can feel it on my teeth. Like it's like like cause I don't drink soda that often now. It's like if I crack open a Pepsi like for the first time in like seven months, and I drink one. I'm like, wow. I need to go brush and floss after this. I feel disgusting.
0: Yeah, I def- I I get that as well. I do feel that like you know film that gets on your teeth uh, from this. And when you drink it, oh boy, that first sip, you're like, whoa, that is a sweet guy, very sugary. And you immediately, i like, it does definitely taste like candy corn. Um, tastes like somebody put candy corn in apple cider. And actually, I would say that the candy corn flavor does overpower the apple cider by a good amount. Um, If if you were trying 1911 and you're like, I want to see what their cider's like, I would not recommend getting the candy corn one first because you're not really going to, the impact of the cider is kind of lessened here. You, it, this could be like, I feel like it could be like water, <laughs> you know, and they put that candy corn syrupy extract in it, like it, the same effect would occur. You do get a little bit of apple cider at the end of it, uh, a very, very minimal amount. Um, but the overall, you know, encompassing flavor is candy corn and sweetness and sugar, at least in my opinion.
1: No, I agree. It's it's definitely not bad. I, I'm actually surprised how much I do like it because I do think it's good. It's definitely like a dessert cider where you can have your, you know, want to move off and do something and kind of enjoy it throughout. Like maybe if you're like tripping, you know, Taking the kids trick or treating, and you're one of those cool millennial parents that, you know, drink while your, your kids are out uh, trick or treating. It's definitely candy corn is there. It's full force, it's full frontal. You drink this thing, it hits you right away. There's no subtlety to it at all, no nuance. It's just there. It kind of basically does taste like they took hard cider, like a batch of hard cider. And they just melted down a fuck ton of uh, canned corn and threw it while they were letting the cider ferment. Yep. It's not bad. Like I said, I'm kind of surprised how much I do enjoy it. But it is definitely something I would say you're not going to be able to just, like, you know, pound away. (laughs) And you're not going to be racing for multiples of this. Yeah. It's nice, but...
0: That's about it. I'm wondering if you're going to get a sugar crash after drinking it, too. Like, I'm actually... It gets a, it's 7% too, so
1: yeah. this thing, if, you know, if you, do, if you do go through
0: it nice and quick, you're going to be probably... I know. I'm actually... Uh, we have two, and I'm scared to start the second one, to be honest with you. Well, I'm about to, because we got to show it to <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I would say it's very... It's actually, you know, besides the sugary sweetness of it, it's very drinkable, um... They did a good job with this. If you like candy corn, if you like that sweetness, or if you're a, a, a sweet cider person, uh, I think this beer, this uh, cider would be really good for you. Um, with that said, you can't drink a whole lot of it, and I think that's expected. But I think that this is an interesting experiment because I felt like it could go very, very wrong. <laughs> you know, um, Frankenstein levels of whoopsie in the uh, laboratory. Um, because I've had a few other... Adjunct y type ciders like that and sometimes they taste like absolute vomit. Um Woodchuck's pumpkin is one of those that I I know well, there, now, there are there are people out there that do like this, and to you I say you must have some sort of vomit fetish because when I the last time I had pumpkin woodchuck apple cider, it tasted like straight up like I just threw up a bunch of like vomity bile. That was like a de- that was a decade. Yeah. It was- watching Bill's jet ski. It was absolutely horrendous would not get again um so and that's again I don't like pumpkin but still it was it was horrible so I've had some really bad ciders um and weird experiments with cider and sometimes they go really really wrong but this one pleasantly surprised so check it out if you can find it it's a local local one for us to with Steve approval. Do we know how far they distribute? Are they distributing out quite a ways or near state only? I'm not sure. I imagine it's probably just in the northeast. Probably. Probably might get it in New England territories. I don't know. All right. Let's talk about Saw 10 because I think we got a lot to talk about. Um, So Saw 10, of course, I don't, well, you know what? I think it's interesting. This film doesn't really do a good job of explaining at the beginning of it. Hey, you're watching a prequel to some of the movies, to some of the saws. So you, it kind of leaves the viewer open to having to do the research to look into Saw Ten, where it says, "Yeah, this takes place between like two and three. Oh, which by the way, real quick, uh, Beacon Skiff is
1: uh, nineteen eleven. This should be quite a lot. It's Illinois. New Jersey, Minneapolis, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Vermont, Virginia, Florida, Maine, Alabama, Georgia, Minnesota, Michigan, Tennessee, Wisconsin, Kentucky, New Hampshire, D.C. Those are the list of all the states where they have distribution in. Wow. It's
0: a big area. Surprised by that. But anyways, yeah. (laughs) We saw ten though. It doesn't do a good job of explaining. This is happening between some of the movies in the series. We, you know, I think we knew about that. We knew that it was going to take place as a sort of prequel to some of the other films in the series. But what? how did you feel about that, like, opening up? Do you think that the film did a good job, or can you, can you glean, maybe not having done the research behind the film, can you glean what's going on by just watching it? Um... Yes and no,
1: because you have to have some backstory on, like, if you're somebody who's like, this is your first uh, Saw film, you would think with the whole opening with, uh, you know, Kramer getting the MRI and finding out that, you know, he's got brain cancer and it's not Carrie O's that's telling him this information, Mm -hmm. uh... But, you know, the fact that that's going on... Like, obviously, if you know about the Saw films, you're... Okay. It's prequel. Not only that, because they kill him off in Saw 3. So, anytime we've ever seen him ever since... And, again, Tobin Bell uh, needs a paycheck. So, they've shoehorned him into every film. You know, so you can get money. Not saying that's a bad thing. But, so you know it's going to be a prequel. If you're familiar with the franchise, even at the base level. I think... If you're new to the franchise, which I think this is what they're trying to do, it's like a, it's a, a little bit of a reboot. Kind of like in how Jigsaw and Spiral was supposed to be a reboot because it's basically like, let's get back to the basics of like Saw 1, 2, and 3. Mm-hmm. But let's also involve, you know, make sure it's got, you know, Tobin Bell, you got you know, Jigsaw Forefront none all this bullshit and we're gonna put the kind of modern drama that we you know people expect in their horror
0: films yeah and I, I misspoke I uh it actually takes place between Saw and Saw 2 not yeah. Saw 3 um because I think you're right you know uh, part of the reason why Tobin Bell is seeking out um another MRI and stuff is because he killed his other doctor <laughs> in Saw so it's like whoops uh probably better find somebody else <laughs> So yeah um, I mean not, not that, that guy That guy was a piece of shit And he didn't yeah. know What he was talking about not, he, yeah, was, not, he, was, he was fucking Somebody else's wife But still yeah. Not that Carrie was Was a great doctor But anyway uh, Yeah he, he had to find a new one Because he killed you um, So You know It does make sense That it, this is a prequel In some capacity But if you're coming in And you're like Well I'm going to start At Saw 10 yeah. What difference could it make It's going to make A little bit of difference um, With that said this film does not have the necessity of knowing all the fucking ins and outs and random turns that all of the other saws have taken in the you know the later years and in the later installments because it is a prequel which is very nice
1: which if you're not familiar with the franchise the franchise loves to shoehorn and twist at the very end yeah, in a very like Lupin the Third esque way of like, aha! See, if you followed this really closely, you would have been able to figure out that I did this, 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 and this, and, you know, as the dun dun dun, dun dun dun, dun 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 dun
0: dun dun. Yes, yeah. playing, you know. Yeah, I mean, I will say w- one very big strength of Saw Ten is that it does not require you to have watched, you know, Saw Seven because they're going to throw in. You know, one shot of like, be- flashback and green tint to Saw 7. Um, this film doesn't have that, and that was one of the things about Jigsaw was like, at a certain point, Jigsaw was just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, <laughs> with up you know, there's Saw 3, here's Saw 5. And people are just like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Who are these people are anymore? It was, you know, especially since there was such time frame gap between that movie's release and others. That's one of the reasons why I thought Jigsaw was kind of ho-hum is because it really required you to have like an intimate, like Marvel-esque cinematic universe knowledge of what went on in the Saw Saw franchise. So if you hadn't brushed up on your Saw lore, you were kind of lost. Saw 10 refreshingly doesn't have that. Nice. Um, It also does not have the putrid green tint of the other Saw movies. You know what it has? Millennial next, blue. Me- no, blue Mexican yellow tint. Oh, I was gonna say Millennial blue. There's a lot of blue. In there is a lot of blue. You're right. Um, akin to like Saw Three. Saw Three had a lot of blue, if you remember, because it was like had all the freezer scenes and stuff. Um, no, but this one, this one, because it takes place in Mexico for the most part. You will notice walking outside, you get that nice like um, Sicario yellow, you know, from like fucking spaghetti west. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a tactic that's used to to indicate like hey you're not in America anymore you're in someplace else you're you're in the uh sunny sunny vistas of Mexico uh saw,
1: saw 10s uh subtitle was uh saw 10 Jim uh, John Kramer goes on to club med <laughs> to, for a
0: Jimmy Buffett a Jimmy Buffett concert. <laughs> while traveling abroad in Mexico for Jimmy but to see Jimmy Buffett one last time John Kramer stumbles upon a a drunk cartel. <laughs> That's a thing too because the film, you know, kind of, we're kind of jumping around here but you know basically the film starts out John Kramer's, you know, obviously finding out wow, I got serious brain cancer. This isn't just like the run of the mill stage 2 brain cancer. This shit is serious brain cancer. Um I've got to get it cut out. And, and especially considering, you know, we're we're talking about jigsaw here. His first basic uh, instinct is to get it cut out, really, basically. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna excise the whole cancer. So you know he's attending cancer groups and things like that, which honestly sounds fucking horrible. When you watch like the, I, I understand the idea of visiting with other people who are in your same predicament, but honestly, it sounds really depressing. Because everybody's just like, yep, got stage four pancreatic cancer. Uh, definitely going to die in like three weeks. And it, it, I don't know, it just presents you with like this inevitable mortality for everybody. I know everybody sounded really hopeful, but it um, sounds very depressing. But anyway, um, he's attending these groups. Eventually he finds this guy who's like, yeah, I had my pancreas. Just absolute, the, all the cancer cut out of my pancreas. Like, look at this gigantic scar I'm left with. But they cut it all out. Which begs the question, you know, especially for someone who is as smart and knowledgeable about the human body as Jigsaw. Hey, does he, can you really believe that he would actually believe that somebody was like able to just cut out like one of the most fatal cancers of the pancreas by just being like, done. It's (laughs) It's
1: like top three, uh killers ain't it like it's
0: yeah i mean because it's like, it's like right after a brain cancer and stomach cancer it's like oh you got pancreatic cancer yeah. man you're fucked because of, well like part of the thing with pancreatic cancer is you can't really just cut go and cut out the pancreas right like generally the one of the reasons that it's so deadly is because you don't find it very fast because you don't really notice things that things are wrong with your pancreas until it's too late to actually do anything about it so it's, it's already stage four by the time you know that you have pancreatic cancer. But anyway it's not like you can just go and just cut out your pancreas and be like, you'll be fine. Um, no, you won't be fine. It's a major endocrinology, <laughs> endocrinologic organ. Uh, you can't survive without, you know, your pancreatic hormones. Um, so it's not just, you can't, like you can just go in and like cut out a tumor, especially one as big as like a stage four tumor, or if it, especially if it's spread metastasized. And that's the thing too. Stage four metastasized. You're, so you're telling me that this guy had stage 4 pancreatic cancer.
1: So they, and they spring, just went in,
0: pancreas, sliced up the pancreas and, pancreas, and then he was good. And it's already been spread to every, you I, know, spreading to other organ. I mean, I, I guess I, I understand the idea behind this, um, where you have gene therapy too that's supposed to target the, the, the you know, the cancer cells. So, in that sense, maybe John would be, especially because he has this uh, need to continue his work. And so he he has this hope that anything will work. So I kind of understand that, but I also have a hard time believing that John would be that gullible to think like, wow, there's just like some random person who's able to come up with this miraculous uh cancer treatment that no one else has done before. Um and just let's say especially because
1: nobody has heard of it. Right. About- it doesn't yeah. like you know, you have to go to this like dark web site to find it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh and it, again, it's literally two thousand and three. So it's like not like, you know, the technology's uh there at all for like this like, oh come get my miracle belief. And the fact too that part of him becoming jigsaw to begin with was was like his acceptance of him dying. Mm-hmm. And Like, I need to do this work because... He knows that, you know, he's seen people waste their lives away and not, you know, do what he sees is the right thing and what they need to do to live, you know, be... Not live, like, be fruitful in their life, but, like, you know, be thankful and grateful for their life because he's, you know, dying of this illness. Right. So for the fact that he's already started on this journey for all of a sudden, like, wait! There's a way out! you know, and I'm also going to start killing this people down in Mexico, too. And it doesn't jive. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think there's some definitely some muddled storyline there. And the film really wants to sell you this this idea of like John Kramer, the medical patient, because the film's probably I want to say a good 30, 40 minutes of the movie is devoted to John basically just finding out about his cancer, finding about this medical procedure and exploring that and kind of taking it as sort of like a medical drama. Um, and, you know, you do get that, the the one uh, scene added in where he's imagining a trap for this guy, which has like a massive industrial vacuum and uh, sucking out eyes and um, stuff like that. Which now, I, think, I think we've also mentioned before, but let's just say...
1: John Kramer and his games. Some of them are so unfair. Oh, Amanda, you have to crawl through bugs to survive. Need You
0: it. there. Yeah, yeah. You have to wait, hold on. You have to cut your whole fucking leg off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I I agree, and you kinda of see that you kinda of see that in this movie too. Where he does have some really, really brutal fucking games for some people, and then other people are like Uh, yeah, just, like, smack your leg a little bit, break it. You know, it's like, there's a difference between having to cut off your old goddamn leg and, like, breaking your ankle. I mean, maybe in the scheme of things, they are both brutal, and you think, when you think about it, like, there are avenues that are awful about both of them. But, like, cut off your leg or break your ankle, which one would you choose? It's like, someone got off a little bit easier. Maybe... I, and like i don't even think that the this film shows you like there are um there are like levels of the game too like where like oh you did something worse so you're going to get a worse game like there isn't really cuz the lady that gets the really terrible game where she gets her fucking leg and head cut off um she didn't really do anything like that awful uh so like there's not i don't know like yeah you're right some of the games are just like fucking john why do you hate this person so much? Like she's a whore, you're just supposed to, you know, you're supposed to be teaching them a lesson. You're not supposed, you know, not supposed to be taking out your vengeance especially, on some people, especially because it's. Uh, I'm not killing them. Mm-hmm. The whole moralistic element of it, yeah, which definitely comes into more play in Saw Ten. Um, talk about that a little bit, though. It's kind of getting, I don't know. Trying to keep things in a little order here. But you're
1: going back to what you're talking about the medical drama stuff. The the first 40 minutes, though, are the best part
0: of this film. And it's where you kind of get like a prestige horror out of Sawtooth. Yeah.
1: Well, and all, not only that, though, too, like it's the best shot, it's the best written and everything flows and is really well and really good. And, you know, it's like what, again, like I said, like. The way it's kind of a reboot, a soft reboot too, is because and placing it in this you know nebulous you know realm between Saw One and Two is because it's like okay, we can take all of the stuff from the franchise and we can kind of gussy it up for you know a you know newer people because if you think about it, the last real mainline Saw film was 2010 with you know Saw Seven, Saw 3D. Then, you know, seven years later, we get Jigsaw. And then four years later, we get, you know, Spiral. So to kind of, you know, with the big, you know, horror boom now, like everybody kind of going back and back and back, you know, to try and true properties and trying to, you know, squeeze more money out of them. They've all been like, this is the same with like, you know, the Halloween franchise too, trying to humanize and make it more dramatic at least in the first iteration. And it it works really well here, because I think there's a lot of things, a lot of nice ground that can be treaded by John Kramer's story and what he's going through, especially if this is the first time, like your first experience. And it works really well. The problem, though, with this film is that after we get to that point, we go into not just saw territory or stereotypical horror slasher territory or torture porn territory, the film goes into that. And then the last 25 to 30 minutes of this film is right off the rails. It just is like, it's like Halloween, uh, two evil dies tonight. Just fucking boom. <laughs> and there's no, and there's no bringing that train back. Like, so it's like you started so good and then it's just. Yeah. I
0: mean, yeah. I think, um, the other thing that I like about the, the first 40 minutes is that it feels the least formulaic of the movie because the once you get to the we're in Mexico we have a gen, generic giant warehouse that could be Jigsaw's lair but it's not, it's in Mexico Um, you, there's not really, like you, you settle into this formula of just like there's going to be a game someone's going to die and generally they're going to lose that game because it's very clear that the filmmakers want you to see the carnage of both them doing the game you know so we talked about the one lady who has to cut off her leg because she has to collect marrow from her leg from her from her bone marrow when she cuts off her leg and then they also want to see you want you to have to see them lose where they have to suffer the massive fatality that they're going to incur because they lost so in this case she's just not able to collect enough marrow at the time, which seems a little bit unfair because she only gets like three minutes. She's got to cut through her entire fucking leg. Yeah, her entire feet. Entire leg in three minutes then grab a vacuum and have the vacuum suck up through a long-ass hose to another area like across the room that's collecting the bone marrow on on a scale and the scale has to reach a certain amount for it to stop. And um... She gets to a certain point and then she loses and then her head's cut off as well. And so you see the whole grisly aftermath. You see her cut off her leg, her legs laying on the floor, her head's laying on the floor, her headless body's laying on the floor. You get to see every gruesome detail of it. And there's, while I do think that that's interesting because they did want to get the most out of that, what is, would be considered like more of a simple trap in terms of like Saw sequels. They also do want to have their cake and eat it, too. They want to have you see every fucking detail about this trap. And I think that that becomes formulaic throughout the movie because that's kind of the way that every single trap works in this game. In this, you know, the full game that they're playing, which is um, nicely segmented between Saw's first games where it's only two people and then Saw 2, which has a group of people all playing a game. This one is like a smaller version of Saw 2 where it's only four people playing the game. It's kind of nice that they did that. I, I like how they were like trying to amp, you know, show how they amped up their games as they went along. But um I think that the film falls into this formulaic approach of here's a game. They're generally gonna lose that game, so you're gonna see everything. And then we're gonna take 15 minutes to do like a heart to heart between Amanda and Jigsaw where they talk about like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't continue your legacy. And she's like, and he's like, yes, you can. You're going to have to, you're going to have to continue my legacy. And they do a heart to heart for about 15 minutes. And there's like, you know, it's, it's basically an interlude. Uh, it's like a torture porn interlude or it's like a porn interlude, right? It's like where you have to, you want to see the action, but you're subjected to 15 minutes of getting, small amount of storyline in there so they could justify that like no it's not just a collection of faces of death clips you know that are you know torture porn that we're just showing you people getting mutilated um we actually have a story in here somewhere um so i think that's where the film goes wrong For the first 40 minutes not formulaic you really don't know where the film's going and i kind of like that because i uh, it is at a certain point in the soft franchise you know exactly what's going to happen. You know, even though the traps are different, the approach to setting up the games is different, you know approximately the whole scope of the movie laid out for you. In Jigs- in this film, with Jigsaw like, discovering his cancer and going through this whole hospital uh, thing and uh, finding a-, a person who can help him, you don't really know where the film's going for a while. And I like that. I wish the film hadn't relied on so much formulaicism the other thing i don't like about setting it in a gigantic fucking warehouse that apparently mexico has a lot of too just like america um is that you you don't get to see you, like for all intents and purposes it doesn't matter this movie set in mexico besides that you have mexican cast And you see a little bit of the Mexican landscape uh, when you're, you know, you're. He's actually driving to this uh, facility. It doesn't matter that this is in Mexico. This could be anywhere, USA. Could be the place that the FBI can't fucking find for whatever reason in America. Um, I don't. Did you feel the same way? Like the Mexican after at a certain point, the Mexican setting is completely moot.
1: No, it's and it's basically kind of just there to. Spice it up a bit. Yeah, it it honestly feels like yeah. Look, look, it's not Detroit anymore with these warehouses and
0: plants. Now we're in Mexico City. Right. Yeah. It, It 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 felt like they were like, we need a new locale. You know, it's it's almost like the in space sort of thing for horror franchises. They can't can't rightly bring Jigsaw to space kind of makes that would definitely jump the shark so they're like listen that would, that would have been awesome i know it's like um they were weighing their options they're like saw 10 J G- uh mexico space um i don't know <laughs> i guess we'll go with mexico makes a little bit more sense but i i do feel like the mexican setting is one just kind of wasted it's kind of like the same thing with scream being set in new york city besides the you know scream scream six being set in new york city besides the uh the one scene where they go into the, um, the bodega, there's really no point in having it set in New York city. If you're not going to use any of the actual like locations, uh, the same is true of this movie being set in Mexico. Like you get, you do get one like touristy sort of like, um, taxi ride. But other than that, there's really no point in having it set in Mexico. And then the other thing that I don't like about the Mexican setting though, is that it allows the film to be, um, to use the exploitativeness that it does later on in the movie. Um, and I guess I should say spoilers, but its I think at this point, if you listen to the show, you know that we do spoilers in here. So um, just tune out if you haven't seen the movie. But um, what I'm talking about by exploitativeness is that the end, where they bring in, it's almost comically stupid, where they bring in the little kid. that jigsaw that they film has made a gigantic unnecessary um focus on because at one point when mex when jigsaw gets to mexico and he sees his little kid he there's like this one weird weird ass scene where he wakes up in the middle of the night and the kid's trying to fix his bicycle and he's just jigsaw's just like good samaritan fixing the bicycle oh and that scene feels so out of place it's like why are we seeing this weird scene of Jigsaw helping this kid with a bicycle. Like, it doesn't have any bearing on what he's there for. Like, yes, he's being a good guy. I guess you're trying to see, like, the moralism of... Like, of J- Bless you. Good, good Christ. Um, you're trying to see the moralism of Jigsaw, I guess. But at the same time, at, that scene sticks out like a sore thumb. It's just like a weird... <laughs> this is comical now with all the scenes. It's just like a, a weird, like, insert into the movie that you're like, why is this here? And then at the end of the movie, when they pull in the kid, you're like, oh, that's why it's here. That's why they wanted a kid to be Jigsaw's friend for a little while. Or amigo, as they say that. <laughs> um, Because you, you... I found that that moment was exploitative in sort of like an edgy way. It was just like... Look, we can include a kid in our games this time. Because while Jigsaw's a probably, you know, moralistically terrible person, look at how awful this woman is. Um, she'll, you know, basically put a gun to a kid's head and force them to play a game for really no purpose other than to be an, a terrible person. Um, what did you think about that? Did you, you think of it was a good inclusion in this movie or what? I mean, it's also
1: ruined by the fucking trap that they're supposed to be in, which is this fucking seesaw water poured of blood, which is kind of pointless. Just like, oh, don't pull, don't pull as jigsaws being drowned in blood, and they're like, oh, yeah, look at them being drowned in blood. What an asshole.
0: I mean, I think what really turns me off of this is that it's so foreshadowed. It's so prepared. It's un like unrealistically foreshadowed by like him teaching the kid the word for pole. And then you come to this fucking game where they don't, you know, it's clear that they weren't expecting uh the little boy to be included in the game and he's like "Don't pull. Don't pull." It's it's just so foreshadowed. I don't know. It it just it, it didn't work for me and I found it to be edgy for edgy's sake that they included the kid in it like you know because they wanted they basically they wanted to have a villain that was not Jigsaw they wanted to have someone who was like wow they're worse than Jigsaw Jigsaw makes people cut off their legs but he doesn't do it himself this lady she steals money you know she's a see you next Tuesday
1: <laughs> um and I, oh, she's She's Andrea from fucking uh Walking Dead because all I could think of as she like every one of her friends are going or co-workers are going through these jigsaw traps and she's gonna be the last one because she's the uh the head honcho the head honcho which also again kind of shows that Jigsaw, like oh I don't do I don't have anything to do with this you know they're just being tested the fact that he's like specially waiting for her to be tested shows that you know nah, 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 nah. -hmm. But so I mean, it's just funny as they're like doing their thing. She's they're like she's like, "Come on, we gotta do this. Work harder. Cut your leg. Cut your leg in half." And like coaching them up. And all I can think of is like the random season two or season three episode of Walking Dead, where we got to meet beautiful Karen, when she was like had the gall to question Andrea, and Andrea was like, "We gotta stick together, Karen." (laughs) That. That's what this reminds I was having flashbacks of. It's it just like, it, like you know, Andrea being like in Alexandria, being like, "Come on, let's go!" Like, stop, cut your leg in half, you bitch. I need that money.
0: I mean, I think it's funny because there is a fine line. I I feel like between fraudulent medical care, right? That Cecilia Peterson is clearly in the game of. Well, Kramer. I mean. Yeah.
1: John paid two hundred three thousand to her. Where did Jigsaw
0: find all this money? <laughs> he's uh, rich because he's an architect. But I feel a civil, civil civil engineer. I, I feel like you know, there's definitely a difference between someone who's committing medical fraud, which she definitely is, and s- someone who would be so evil, where they're like taking glee in the fact that like my associate that I don't have to pay anymore is fucking cutting off their leg and then got her head fucking ripped off. Um, You know, it's... I think it it borders on being absolutely ridiculous. She's a cartoon villain. Yeah, she really is. Um, And even the writing for her is just so um, over the top sometimes. Uh, You almost... Yeah, it's... It's it's just kind of ridiculous how far they have her... And I think, like, I, I I understand what they wanted to do. They wanted to humanize John Kramer in a way that you generally don't get to see it. Because, I mean, you got to see it and saw a bit. Because that was all about, you know, medical malpractice, insurance issues, things like that. Uh, which is arguably why that film is probably one of the best in the series. But I understand why they wanted to do that here. They wanted to show John Kramer in a light that, like, yep, guy's got some issues. But um, he's not as bad as some other people. But I feel like trying to do that with Cecilia Pearson and making her so villain, so ridiculously villainous, over the top villainous, um, didn't work. It actually um, was a detriment because I don't think that the film really made that connection. That it's almost like just a, like a parody because she's so over the top. She's such a like cartoon villain as you said that it doesn't it doesn't really register it's it's um and in those scenarios too you have to wonder like well can they be can they be reconciled can they can they actually be saved you know even if John plays a game with her is she going to learn from that game um I don't I I think that's probably the biggest misstep of this movie is is in like you said that's where the film kind of runs away with itself and it's like fucking Uh, pedal to the metal speed, you know, over 55 right off a cliff because it doesn't really know what to do in those last moments. And it almost feels like it's flying by the seat of its pants, Um, especially, and this happens a lot in Saw movies, but the, the film's conclusion where they wrap it up and they're like, hey, guess what? All the stuff that you saw, where it looks like John Kramer and Namanda are in trouble, they really weren't because they they planned it all like this. John planned to be <laughs> bloodboarded, uh, not with a little kid, but they they didn't plan it exactly like that. But they definitely planned this, all of these events to occur, which I I think the film gets mainly from Saw
1: two because I mean, at least in Saw one, like it's really clever, like. He was lying there the whole time when the game was, you know, asked out or whatever. Saw too, they go overboard with the whole, like, oh, your kid was actually in a fucking safe the whole time, you idiot, you know? And, like, it kind of, like, goes stems from there and just keeps snowballing. Like I said, it's the Luponification of it, because, like, if, as much as we love Lupon Third, the series is very much known for at the end of episodes and throughout, like, Oh, how did you survive this and this? I was like, you didn't notice I did this, this, and this? You fucking idiot. (laughs) You know? And that's where this, you know, this franchise does that, too, where it's got the music play, like...
0: And the thing about that, too, is I think you're actually, like, at least for me, I was actually expecting them to be prepared for this. Like, I was expecting, like, oh, yeah, they've actually planned this. Which is, I mean... Maybe stupid for me But I was I was really And I kind of was Getting the feeling From like man, Especially Shawnee Smith As Amanda Where she was like Acting so Um What's going on Yeah surprised About like John are you sure Are you sure It was like Okay they know they like they've, they've got all this planned I think it's ridiculous though When they show you The flashbacks And they're like We know about Parker uh, We know yeah. that he's in on it And we actually needed To find him and I sat there and I unloaded his gun bullets.
1: Yeah, with my cancer ridden, like, huh?
0: yeah. I definitely think like that is where the film kind of goes off the rails, where it's it's hard to um, just find the realism in this movie. Like, and to be honest with you, like, Saw movies, they're not known for their realism, right? But. I just I found the the film's conclusion with, with the all the twists, instead of being twisty like, hey, you need to know all of these different movies in the Saw franchise. This time it was just like, that's absolutely ridiculous that they could have planned it like that.
1: uh, how do you, uh well, it's basically like, how do you get how do you get them out of this trap? Like, I thought the good cool twist would have been if everybody survives their fucking trial. Hmm. Like at like at first, like when we see like the one first guy like survives, like, you know, through his uh trial and tribulation with the pipe bomb sewn into his arm. It would have been kinda of cool to actually see everybody
0: survive through trap, you know, and Kramer would be like, Alright, get that one. <laughs> I actually I thought too that the, the kind of things that was was interesting was when Gabriella wins her trap and then Cecilia just snaps her neck. And they like at the end of the movie, <laughs> they're having like a fucking like,
1: <gasps> like a like a man that's like,
0: wow, she won. and Kramer's
1: like, sense. right. She she she, she,
0: she passed a trial, and she's like, I don't fucking care. But technically, at the end, like they should be they should be upset that she's dead, right? Because if yeah. this was all part of the plan, they should be upset because she won, and then. Their plan actually got her killed, but they're like just walking out into the the yellow Mexican air, sunlight in their hands. Yeah, like, they're just like, "Woo, eagle, little boy, here's like a billion dollars." <laughs> yeah, I think I've, I felt like that was again like that's a a, a way that they like recursively they've kind of like gone back on what John Kramer actually means uh, from like the original Saw, but. I do like the fact that this movie does go back to traps that they technically can win. As we said, sometimes they are absolutely ridiculous traps. Um, and that is partially because with a Saw movie, you now constantly have to up the ante with the traps. You can't just have some random, you know, like, if you don't do this, your arm's gonna get cut off. Um that doesn't fly anymore. You have to have a ridiculous architect trap that John Kramer had to go to an industrial warehouse and talk to the salesman. And the salesman like, are you sure you need this for your like home garage? This is a fucking, you know, industrial, uh, chicken, you know, slaughterhouse vacuum. This is not something that you're going to use in your garage. I don't think you understand what I need this for. <laughs> um, well, though,
1: I think also, too, though, you get to see kind of a man just touch on the trap. So because someone that like again like the brutality of like, like what do you got to do to survive? Well, you got to take that saw there and cut into your skull and get some brain out. Yeah. Like, you know, like
0: that's ridiculous compared to like, you know, not only. Yeah. Like because not only that, like you, like one wrong move in your brain and like you're not going to be able to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know just, like, just to pull out a piece of your brain. You know?
1: Or, again, like, the fact that Valentina had to cut through her fucking femur. The strongest bone and the hardest thing to cut in your... And to break in your body. Yeah, you gotta cut through your whole fucking leg in three minutes. And then, as you said, take the suction and get the bone marrow. Like, they're ridiculous. Yeah. Which, I do think at first, like, you're... I, I agree. Like, the fact that, like, if the traps are winnable and painful, but, like, winnable, like, and reasonable are the, like, so, like, the first two Saw films, like, had the best traps because of that. And obviously because of plot reasons, because of Amanda and Costas Mandalore not really following what Jigsaw wants, like, but, like, you know, doing the same stuff, but having these unwinnable traps, that's a night that's good for the story because of what's going on in the story. You know, so it's nice here to see, like, actually, as you said, like, them to go back to traps that are you know they're you know, for the most part, you know, believably winnable like mm-hmm. could potentially do. Some of them like I said are kind of ridiculous and obtuse, but you know,
0: that is nice. Um I yeah, I do I, I think that this film does sit well within the Saw one and two because you do see the idea that like Amanda does harbor certain vengeances for people that she doesn't for others. So you see, like, she has a soft spot for Gabriella because she has a drug addiction, just like Amanda. So you kind of see, like... I thought it was cool. (laughs) But you kind of see where Amanda's going to be coming into the the series and sort of not following the exact religion of John's, you know, jigsaw elements. Um, So I like that, too. I think, like, you know, as a prequel, this movie works pretty well um, because it does do a lot of good things to set up the the movies that have come after it um you know what the best good thing about this movie is what's that Shawnee smith bulk. Ooh, that is a haircut for sure um yeah that is something um i think they were going for they wanted it to be similar to the saw 2 one but wow it's not it's not even close like... that's like more butchered than valentina in this movie it's, I mean, it's just hilarious, though. So it's like, oh, uh, so... Yeah, and they also give Shawnee Smith a, like, kind of a lurid lighting to kind of hide the fact that, like, she's obviously going to be older than she is in Saw Two. With John, you know, you, he's, like, he's cancer patient dude, so you can have him looking fucking old as hell and it doesn't matter, right? Like, he, <laughs> you know, the man's almost, like, what, like 90 years old. So he's like, eight, eight, five, eight, five, yeah, so he can look as old as he, you know, looks and it doesn't really matter because he's got cancer but like for Shawnee Smith she kind of they kind of have to hide that a little bit so you'll notice that they have like a lot of uh, not, not that Shawnee Smith is looking like quote unquote old but just obviously looks older than she was in Saw 2 so right right so you, you kind they kind of hide that a bit um, but like honestly Tobin Bell great in this movie I think he does a really good job um, I think he handles it really well I think he does shine especially since we don't see him very often in a lot of the other Saw movies like this is this is really one where he's he's front and center. He like comes to the traps. You know, normally in Saw movies he's on tape or you see him in the background or something. But here he's like pacing around on the floor. Just kind of interesting I thought. Um yeah, Tobin Tobin's uh, this is one of his finest
1: performances. I mean, he's always been a strong point in the series, but you know, he does bring a gravitas and levity to it that's you know really mm. much needed. And Shawnee Smith too does really good, even though she is kind of like a gremlinish and necessarily like, like just kind of weeviling it about like a fucking like you know, yeah like salacious crumb job you know job of the huts like uh, henchman. Like-
0: <laughs>
1: I think that's that's part of the writing. I don't think it's Shawnee Smith. Shawnee no, Smith does a good job. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that's her fault because it is because she. Like, uh, you think you're the first one to try to cry? <laughs> Doesn't work. <laughs> like, yeah. she's playing it, but, like, she's kind of, she's written ghoulish, like, you know, to be kind of yeah. cre- innocent. You know. Yeah. Idiotic. When she's not doing her holy. Like, John, are you okay?
0: Yeah. I mean. I, I. The film is. I like the film, but. um It definitely has drawbacks, but it's, it's not the actors that are the drawbacks, except for, you know, like, and again, I don't think this is their fault, but like we talked about how Cecilia is very, you know, cartoony villainous. I think, I don't think that's the, the actress's fault because I think she does actually a really good job when she's actually like playing fake doctor. Um, she, she sells that really well. I think it's the writing's fault when it gets to be the end of the movie where it's like Get, this is going off the rails here. Um, so you, can, it's a,
1: you can definitely tell the budget was limited too because the fact that the whole second and third act are literally just shoved into the warehouse and everybody's chained up in the same location to have their traps happen. And it's very kind of soap opera and like set up. Like, Yeah, like it,
0: yeah you, you would really think like they could have shot this on a pretty, pretty low budget. Um, and it really wouldn't have, you know, besides setting up the traps and stuff, there's really not that much that that costs a lot of money here.
1: It's Saw Three, where they're all trapped together in the. I know in Saw Two they're trapped, they all have to like find keys, but like Saw
0: Three is the one where they're trapped in the warehouse, right? Yes, and he has to go through. It's like his game, and he's going through and trying to save everybody. Yeah, that's that's Saw Three. Yeah, I mean, and it's only thirteen million, so yeah, it's pretty, pretty low. Yeah. <laughs> um. What do you think about the traps? Like, how do, how do you feel about them in this movie? I thought they were fine. Uh, I think
1: they're minimalistic, but it worked because they put emphasis into the gore. And I was kind of toe-tapping at times. of so, like, some of the gore and kind of retching. Not in, like, uh, like scaring, but, like, ugh, disgust. Because, uh, blood and guts doesn't really bother me, but bone-breaking. ask snapping my leg in half when I was you know riding a bike in 5th grade I've always been sensitive to like the bone curdling crunching shit so like the whole taking a thing into your skull and seeing like the skull get cut open and flipped open like the brain and all that's fine but the whole like bone saw shit into this, like, you know
0: yeah the film I think I like the fact that the the traps are relatively <laughs> simple in comparison to some of the others. I like the fact that they do have what you would consider a winnable objective. And I like that they, you know, they do have a brutality to them that's simplistic. I don't like that the film does the whole, like, it becomes pretty clear after the second uh, trap that most people are not going to survive their traps. Um because they want you to see like i said they want you to see both the grizzly doing of the you know actually doing the trap and then actually seeing the aftermath um so i think i feel like that's kind of a cop out at least in my opinion um however i do think they did have some interesting ideas for traps and um i think that what, what the film really excels at is not necessarily showing you all of the gore cuz it doesn't show you that much gore honestly but what it does do is have great sound design the sound design is what really gets to you whereas the squelching of like ripping through flesh uh crunching yep the crunching of bones uh it's definitely definitely a film that you want to watch like like the theater
1: experience is where it's at because of the right proper sound Mm -hmm. if anything like you know Uh, which I can imagine. I know, like, you know, home entertainment systems are delightful and surround and all that, but you're definitely probably going to get your money's worth in this in the theater just because of that alone, like how big and holistic and bombastic everything is at that presentation level.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's definitely where it excels is just all of that sound design is what really gets you, you know, with the torture elements And, uh, listening to people scream and throw up and stuff like that, it all kind of adds to the atmosphere of, of, uh, you know, everything that, that happens. Um, what do you think about the, uh, the post-credits sequence? Because in our theater, I knew about the post-credits. I knew there was a post-credits sequence, but everybody fucking left in our theater. Well, it doesn't help because usually when there's a post-credits, they leave the lights in the house
1: dim until you get to that and then they bring it up. Here, they just brought it right up, so, uh-huh. you know, everyone. Which, the, we were, like, one, two of eight people there, so, you know, it was good showing uh, for a matinee on Monday. But, no, it was great, because it's like, oh, yeah, that one guy that was like, oh, my pancreas, stage four taken out. And then you find out, like, he's like, oh, he tracks him down, and then, bam! Costas Mandalore is there.
0: Mark Hoffman, let's go. I mean, the film does hint at it because, you know, during the movie, Jigsaw calls. He says, he, I've got yeah. a detective that can help yeah. me find these people. And he calls him. And you hear his voice on the line, basically, you know, tracking people down. But, you know, you don't actually get to see him until the post-credit sequence. So. Hey, man, his hair is nice and oily and black.
1: And like, super super slick back. I love all the people you gotta fuck. I
0: mean it's a nice call to uh, the rest of the Saw series doesn't really mean that much but uh, and again unless they want to put him into the next ones yeah and I I mean again you have to think about the logistics of John Kramer's calendar (laughs) just gotta be horrendous he needs he needs a damn receptionist to like handle the whole thing. That's why he's got Amanda there. She's not actually like friends. <laughs> yes, tra- yes, yes. She's she's the muscle and also handling the calendar.
1: Oh, I think I'd like to head out for dinner tonight. No, you can't. You have
0: the, uh, you have a trap planned. <laughs> yeah. Basically, <laughs> that's that's why it was funny when he um then when they'd like play the scam on him and she's like, well, you know what, I can get you in next Thursday. This is the only time we have available. He's like, and he's like, I think I could make that. It's like, yeah, you better check the calendar, man. <laughs> it is yep. great though. Like like,
1: it's it is great though. Just like his, just like you know, he says that Protestant work ethic just knows the grindstone and. Hell, he made a Billy. He brought Billy down. That's How, true. How'd you like Billy's uh, appearance in this with his
0: like first person shot? Like you know, I think the uh, slow, bu- slow bike riding. I think it was kind of funny because, like, when you see it, it is it is it's, it's a very slow bike ride. It's like so unnecessary too. You just when you think about it, like the logistics. Like, he's only been in Mexico City for a little while, yet he's fucking engineered this entire warehouse and not only that he's engineered Billy to come riding out for no real reason he just kind of like rides out with a, a tape recorder well because it's it's part of the gimmick I know but it's which is funny too because in
1: 2004 2003 2004 you mean to tell me this bitch knows about Jig- the jigsaw killer and like all his tropes and stuff because she's like who would have thought that I would have stumbled upon John Kramer the jigsaw killer
0: yeah, that's the other thing, is that the film, you know, like, if it does truly take place between Saw 1 and 2... She shouldn't fucking have a clue who... Te- technically, he doesn't. Like, obviously, the FBI has no clue. John Kramer's out there buying all kinds of industrial shit. Like, you know, industrial vacuums, industrial saws. Things that most laymen or even architects wouldn't have their hands on. He's out there, you know, searching through the gigantic, you know, industrial warehouse catalog, buying all this stuff, FBI's like, we have no idea who Jigsaw could be. Not tracking down any of, like, the receipts, like, people are calling in, like, I got a tip for you, like, some guy bought a fucking vacuum, and I think it definitely could suck a guy's eyes out, you know? It's like, <laughs> FBI. just, I don't know, we didn't follow up on any of those clues. Ugh. Again, if you
1: think about it, like you said, logistically, like, if it happened after, like, after Saw 2 in
0: between 2 and 3, It'd make more sense because yep. Saw 2, he he does get captured. And and those were big, um, Yeah, those were bigger games. And, and not only that, but he, you know, he obviously abducted a kid from a detective. Yeah. Those are big things. So, yeah, Jigsaw's going to be on the map at that point as a federal investigation. But, like, between Saw 1 and Saw 2, I don't know that he would have actually had a... I mean, I guess in Saw 1, he does have the local police force looking into him right but i don't i don't know that he would be national at news at that point or, or actually i should say international international news because technically you know uh, she's traveling all over the world she's in norway mexico um you know it's it's hard to believe that she would like immediately know who he is i agree um
1: don't you Don't you love the fact, too, when uh, Kramer's down there and he's getting whisked away to Casa de Salamanca, that, like, the van stops? and like, who are you? Who are you? Cartel? Right this way, John
0: Kramer. Enjoy your stay. I I honestly thought that this movie was just about Jigsaw infiltrating the cartel. Just like, you know.
1: It's Better Call Saul. He's down there to visit uh, fucking. (laughs)
0: Lalo, <laughs> he also made a nice joke too about jigsaw taking out his uh vengeance on the uh barista who over over uh <laughs> overfired his beans his coffee beans because he gets a nice french press in mexico and it's like it is funny to think about like at a certain point how jigsaw might find anybody to be like to be worthy, of, yeah to be worthy of traps because like they didn't you know You did you didn't uh yield the
1: proper length of time when you were at that yield sign. Exactly.
0: Your heart is chilled It's like the the beans were overfired. And now you will be due.
1: And this is all of a sudden you Alright, so Let's rate sides. Oh, well, real quick. So oh, sure trap. So we talked about briefly.
0: What's your favorite trap? Um, it's a good question. It's definitely not the brain one because I feel like that one truly is unwinnable. Like it real realism wise, I I don't think that that would even work. Be, you're doing literal brain surgery on your in pulling out your own brain. I don't think that would work. Um, so I'm gonna go with I think like the. The, I think the one that I thought was cool was the one where he had the uh, bombs planted into his arms. I thought that was an interesting trap where it definitely was one of those saw one to two traps that are actually winnable. And he does win. So I like that quite a bit because I thought that that was, you know, it was it was nice to see, you know, especially like considering the one that Amanda survives where it's the reverse bear trap, but she's, she can actually do it. And there's, it's not like she's doing something that's gonna leave her in shock after she like cuts her fucking leg off or something like that totally totally
1: in shambles no I I agree the the pipe bomb trap's the best one just because like it's like like yeah you're gonna be scarred on your arms you have a chance so you, you can be able to get these pipe bombs off your arms it's not gonna leave
0: you crippled and dejected for life it's you know yeah, because you have to kind of think about that, too, from the perspective of, like, Valentina. Okay, so, after you made her cut off her leg, you think she's going to be more happy with her life? Like, she's going to now have a positive outlook after she's now basically crippled for the rest of her life? Like, it doesn't really make sense that he's, he goes those extremes of, like, some people have to, like, literally lose limbs or bodily function for them to be able to like continue on in their life the only thing I can think
1: of is you can attribute to Amanda's doing but at the same time he's still technically I mean he's the brains he's the one designing yeah. it yeah yeah so I mean no you're you're right like it, do, it doesn't jive and I think that's probably like I would like to see if we were going to further explore this like in like the trials and tribulations of John Kramer as Jigsaw I would like to see these like gut-wrenching traps but they're winnable and aren't going to totally maim you for life if you don't if you win them because if you like if you don't obviously that's you know death's the price you pay but I think the fact that if you make them you know realistically winnable and not cripple you beyond a point where you're like well I wouldn't kill like you know yeah like you said like Valentine like, oh my legs cut off I guess I won't go throw myself off a cliff now <laughs>
0: <You> yeah <know? laughs> well if, if you think even to like Saw 2 like some of the traps were like I'm going to be experiencing like some pain right now like I have hands in glass right now but like your hands in glass like okay yeah you're gonna have pain right now but you can you can survive it you're not gonna be maimed by it and you you literally can power through and do whatever you need to do it's not like you're you're like I'm saying like if you cut off your leg, you're going to be in fucking shock. Like there's no realism in that. Like if, if it would be kind of interesting if Tobin Bell was, or John Kramer was like watching the games happen and like, oh shit, went a little too far on that one. Like, you know, like I, I realize now that that wouldn't, was never going to work. <laughs> you know, like if they started to go into shock or something and he was like, yeah, no, that put a, put a note down. Can't do that next time. Um, you know, because like just, just thinking logistically about some of them it's just impossible to win some of them you know based on the human body but like I I agree I think either go the route of going back to ones that are winnable where you're not going to be ridiculously maimed after or focus on John Kramer's brain tumor and how it has corrupted his sense of winning um, or you know like what he considers a winnable game because I think that's that's another route that they could go... If they do want to pursue prequels... And kind of make it understandable... Why his games have become like more sadistic as they go along... Is to focus on the brain tumor... Literally changing his personality... Because um, that's like a... A route that I think would be realistic to take... Alright... So let's rate Saw 10... Uh, on a scale of 0 to 10... Unfortunately... Wasted local tequila. <laughs> what would you give? Saw ten. I give it a seven out of ten.
1: It, it's good. Like, like like I said. Like the the first third, you know, half of this film is really good. Um, it's different. It's new. It gives you something to kind of grab on to it leaves you kind of wondering what direction the, sh- the movie's going to go into. But the second half of the film dives into chaos and then eventually into anarchy and it's misled and misthought of. Um, the tramps are fun for the most part. They're, you know, enjoyable. They're visceral, but not too over. They're not overly complicated. Tobel does a great job. So does Johnny Smith. Uh, in their respective roles, I think just the fact that the writing kind of goes off the rails in the second half is the biggest detriment to this film. Because there is some good uh, torture porn scenes in this film, and it has a good aesthetic. It looks the film does look really good. Um, sounds as you said, the sound on this is really good as well. I think the fact that. It's a prequel. Is fine. And I, it's, you know, stands alone on its own. But I think the fact that it dives into, like, this Bugs Bundy cartoon bullshit at the, in the last half is the biggest fault in this film. The writing just is not up to par. The directing's there. The, ri- uh, the acting is there. The sound design's there. The traps are there. It's just the writing to carry the story is not that good after the second half and it's very pedantic and shallow and kind of sad because this is obviously the best the, It's this is one of the better Saw films Uh probably the second best after the first one but the fact that it fails to miss the mark in the second half is it's biggest flaw so I, I'd probably say 7 out of 10
0: yeah but I would agree with that 7 out of 10 I think that this probably is one of the best Saw sequels um, and I think that's saying something. Uh, it definitely does a good job of presenting a movie that it sits right in line with Saw One and Saw Two for the most part. It captures the feel of it, captures the atmosphere. Uh, it has web search as a Google search there, um, to indicate, yep, we're in 2003. Uh, yet it, I think the biggest missteps is when it tries to do a much more formulaic approach in the second half where it's like game interlude, game interlude, um, where you have these expectations that the player is not going to win. Um, it does not use its Mexican locale to its advantage for the most part, because this is basically anywhere USA warehouse. Um, so you see like the lower budget at play there. Um, I think that in terms of storyline, the movie is good. It does focus on some elements of like, you know, the medical profession that I think are interesting. Um, that kind of harken back to the first movie. First movie is definitely about the healthcare industry. Uh, this movie is to a certain extent about the healthcare industry, how we don't you know we have the fda that only approves things based on getting paid for it um insurance issues having to seek out care in other countries um i think that's kind of like a minor element to this movie though um and i don't like the cartoonish villain as we've talked about i think it's kind of ridiculous towards the end of the movie Uh, i think it kind of goes off the rails i agree the whole end trap is absolutely crazy ridiculous, especially considering the fact that there's just no way, there's no way they could have predicted what happens. And the film kind of takes that in stride and it's like, no, they did. They predicted it. But as a viewer, you're like, that's just over the top. <laughs> um, so I think I think the film is good. I think it does a good job. It's one of the better Saw movies, has brutal traps. Um, they're definitely Brutal, definitely gory. If the Academy was given out awards for uh, horror movies, then this one should probably be nominated for sound design. Because I do think it does a really good job at um, presenting like a discomforting sound design. But uh, there's definitely some detrimental elements to the story. Um, things that don't really jive with the rest of the series. Th- things that don't jive with uh, John Kramer as a character. So I think it's a little bit above middling. So that's why I'm giving it a 7 out of 10. Still one of the best in the franchise. Still way, way better than Jigsaw and a step up from Spiral. Um. Alright. So that's all 10. Uh, Next week, doing Nostalgia, Hocus Pocus... Sure. Um, I think that probably makes sense since we've done two horror in a row now. I think uh nostalgia would be would be good. Um and it's now definitely spooky season, so Hocus Focus I think would be a fine one to do. Are you excited that uh Hocus Focus tree got approved? No. Got green one? No. Let Bette Midler die in peace. Ha <laughs> ha from a distance, I'm collecting these pages. I know. Just from a di- Just stop. The woman wants to go to her grave. <laughs> Just let her do it. <laughs> stop forcing her into this bullshit, Disney. I know they probably pay well, but no, Hocus Pocus 2 was awful. Uh, well, you know, by doing the first one, we're gonna have. I know, I know. Um, that's probably the only other time that I'll ever revisit that movie. Because I definitely f- found it to be a total, total bore. You know, somebody at work I was talking to about Hocus Pocus and I like, oh, I haven't seen it before. I go,
1: well, if you didn't see it when it came out, it's probably not going to matter.
0: Yeah, it's too late for you.
1: It's It's too many millennials. Like, it's
0: the same thing with Nightmare Before Christmas. If you didn't see it when you were three years old, then, uh, then you then could then just it fuck ca- off. Yeah, then it didn't capture your <laughs> shit. Man, yeah.
1: well, that's three years old. I didn't like it either, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, I think uh, Hocus Pocus will be a fun one to do. Um, I watch it every year, mostly because my wife. My wife is the big Hocus Pocus. I like Hocus Pocus. Uh, I think it's a, a, a fun movie. My wife loves Hocus Pocus. Like, she'll, she'll actually say things... Um, that I don't even realize are in the movie. Um. And so I I honestly like it, it it takes me by surprise sometimes. It's almost like uh when I like talk about home alone, basically. Like the same thing. So I think we'll have a, a fun episode of that. So if you want to hear us cover Hocus Pocus and pretty much all the rest of our Halloween movies for Halloweenies too, you should subscribe to us on pretty much any podcast app that you can think of. We're on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, um, PodBay, whatever, whatever you use, we're on. Subscribe, leave us a nice review. Uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter. Search for us on there, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. We have an email address at gmail.com. You can write to us, let us know what you like, what you don't like. What movies do you want us to cover? And we'll take that into consideration. Uh, even if it's the George Lopez show. Oh, Ro <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I just, for whatever reason, <laughs> thought about George Lopez. Uh, and uh, you can donate to us on Patreon or our Spotify page. Uh, anything you donate will be put back towards beer. So we appreciate that. Fueling our alcoholism. Um, other than that, hope you enjoyed our episode, our Halloweenies episode on Saw 10. Hope you go out and see it in theaters. It's a Halloween tradition. So, uh, hope you've, hope you've gone and check it out. And, uh, until next week, take care.